Clarence Thomas. Uh, who wants to know? I have something for you. Pornography? Better. What could be better than pornography, man? I'm Taylor and we are going to be talking about tonight one of the most awful things I've ever watched the 2003 knee-high PI uh I agree and I love bad stuff I live for bad stuff but this was just actually really bad (laughs) this has the double whammy of not only being like wildly poorly written but also just insanely fucking racist yeah, it's offensive on every level. The writing is poor. It's mean-spirited. Just for no reason, gratuitous everything, fill in the blank for every reason. So the main guy here is Martin Kleba. He's a little person, and he's a stunt performer. He's probably best known for being Marty the Pirate in The Curse of the Black Pearl from 2003. That prominent, beloved character. <laughs> <laughs> His most recent thing is he's in something called Clown Motel, which is an Amazon movie from 2019, and he plays a character called Loco. Oh, I gotta write that down. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually in quite a few things uh, that are still in pre-production right now, so he's a working guy. He's a stunt performer, so I imagine what he mostly does is, like, children yeah kid stunts and i noticed his uh, wife appears to be using his facebook page to sell jewelry right now <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> he's also a fucking trump supporter how did you find that out it's on his wikipedia page oh really yeah <laughs> just gotta throw that in there just in case So the two writers of this, I couldn't find that they'd really done anything. I mean, it just shows that these guys have never written anything, any like ever been in a comedy writing class or had anybody given them notes before. And the director is, um, he's just a second unit director and he's most known for directing American Pie 2. (laughs) (laughs) And just couldn't bring any of that magic. (laughs) So this came out the same year as The Curse of the the Black Pearl, 2003. It it actually was broadcast on TV, which is kind of amazing. When I was looking around for it, there was people like that that were saying that it's a movie, not a pilot. But it's clearly a pilot, even though when it was on TV, they said it was a movie. Yeah, that's the classic move with a pilot that doesn't get purchased, is to just turn it into a TV movie. So this is the stinger that Comedy Central put out for it. Neipi is the bargain of the century. Hank Dingo is half the size and twice the service. Dingo, a 30-something height-challenged private eye, is charming, abrasive, manipulative, and most importantly, hilarious. Viewers will follow Dingo on his missions. Dingo's methods are unrefined. His behavior is totally unpredictable. And yet, he always manages to solve the crime and get the girl. I'd say the majority of that is not true. I would agree, too. <laughs> there's, there's nothing charming about him. Mm-mm. And he doesn't get the girl other than, like, some concubines. <laughs> Hank Dingo, he's a racist. He's derisive to everybody. 
He's demeaning to every woman he comes encounter with. He's he's a homicidal maniac. He's a terrible detective, and he must be stopped. <laughs> wow, you feel strongly about it, don't you? <laughs> he he literally he literally tortures a guy with a fucking blowtorch. He just beats people senselessly for no reason. He's got some issues, some uh, anger issues, it seems like. The song of that movie, like the main soundtrack, I guess, was written by a band called Toilet Boys. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So if that tells you anything. Yes. um... It's the Toilet Boys, and it's from their album Rock and Roll Whore. (laughs) And I think they're still like on tour. They're a big deal. They're active. The song plays in its entirety. The theme song goes on and on and on and on. The intro drove me fucking insane. So the first thing that happens is there's a bunch of news reports. I'm standing live at the gates of the Playboy Mansion, where Playmate turned actress Nikki Shalazarian was kidnapped. Abducted from the Playboy Mansion, where she was taking part in a charity wet t-shirt contest for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And we see her her tied up and she's gagged and um, she's being held captive in like an old building or a barn. And there's a knock at the door. When they go to open the door, there's a huge watermelon, like a country fair size. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> B- blue ribbon melon. Sitting in front of the door. And they tell the guy, well, yeah, bring it in. Bring it into the kitchen and cut it up. And one of them says chunks not slices he says it like two or three times yeah they really honed in on how to cut the watermelon it was like a big deal that's the biggest watermelon i've ever seen yeah now go cut it up chunks not slices is is that a thing like in watermelon cutting like you have like some people want chunks and some people want slices like i've know. never heard that before i don't know why maybe you we should conduct a survey yeah absolutely <laughs> Wait, wait, I got, we got to get consensus on this. How do you prefer your melon? <laughs> so they bring the, the watermelon in. He turns his back on him. And, of course, the, the knee-high P.I. jumps out of the watermelon and just starts beating the man in the kitchen senseless. <laughs> and they, they cut to the other room, and the other guys just start shooting their guns at the kitchen. But they're shooting too high. And the, the knee-high P.I. kicks out the bottom of the kitchen door and comes out. Because they've shot, like, above the knee, I guess. No, it's not even too high. Because when he walks through, <laughs> he has to duck down under the top of the door. <laughs> it would have just hit him right in the face. So just a regular detective that was kneeling would have been fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then he, like, beats all the rest of the people, all the bad guys, and he unties the the babe and as a reward she exposes herself to him and that's basically when the show lost me i was like okay if that's what we're doing like there's no way this is going to be good you know yeah yeah up until that point i was almost getting some like naked gun leslie vibes and i was like okay like some slapstick it's going to be ridiculous like i i'm i can do this but yeah after that i was like ah i see what this is going to be doing why why do they why like it's not funny it's not i mean american pie you know like the same director i don't know we actually rewatched the american pie movies recently and not to defend them 
But they do have like sweet moments. True. Yeah, true. Like moments that don't just make you want to fucking pull your teeth out. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's something I really want to talk about with this. It's not that I'm like a prude and I don't want you know I don't think that that can be funny. It's just why isn't this funny? You know, like I feel like I've been. I mean, I know Taylor too. Like I've been in a lot of comedy classes with people who just don't understand. They think that you can just say something dirty or gross or inappropriate, and that's going to be that's always funny. And mm-hmm. you have to do it in a certain way, because um, you know the, the all the Naked Gun movies and stuff make boob jokes all the time, mm-hmm. and that's actually funny. It has a charm to it. This has no charm. It's not done like lighthearted. It's not. It seems to be like like a mean spiritedness to it. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels gross. Like it just. Yes. I as soon as I saw that, I was like. I am sure this was written by some like basic bros, you know, like it's like it was written by uh, by consensus by just a bunch of fucking people on Reddit. Just like fucking epic humor, my man. We cut to the old McIntyre mansion (laughs) and old man McIntyre is he's in his front yard and he's like reading the newspaper that says that Justice Clarence Thomas, his, his lawn jockey has been stolen. Justice Thomas wept as he offered a reward for his cherished lawn jockey, Toby. <laughs> and he's really upset about it. And so old man McIntyre is very concerned that his lawn jockey, Rochester, is going to be stolen from in front of his house. I can't even tell you how many times it's happened to me. It's like... I lost track. It's uh, definitely cause for concern. We've all been there. We can all relate. When I saw the lawn jockey the first time, my first thought was somebody thought it would be really funny to put Martin Kleba in a lawn jockey outfit. And we're just going to ride our entire script around that idea. (laughs) It just snowballed from there. I feel like I haven't never really thought about lawn jockeys very hard in my life until I watched (laughs) this show. Yeah, I had always thought they were just kind of these innocent things that were in people's front yards. Uh, you know, it never occurred to me that they have a long, terrible racist history. Because <laughs> I just thought, you know, lawn jockeys, you know, jockeys are small people. I'd never seen them painted the way that they are in the show. And I feel like they definitely were using them because they thought they were racist. I think they make that clear several times. But by painted, do you mean like actually physically painted in blackface with bright red lips yes as opposed to so there are two different kinds of lawn jockeys you've done some lawn jockey research (laughs) um i went to wikipedia which is the god honest truth (laughs) so there are two kinds there's the racist kind which i'm not even going to say the name of you're free to go and look that up and then there is the one called cavalier spirit which is actually the one that you see most in this Huh. Um, and that's just a guy, and you can paint him however you want. There's a club somewhere in Manhattan that has 33 of them all along the edge, and they're all painted different because they're supposed to represent different famous actual jockeys that exist. Huh. Okay. But I think definitely originally have a racist origin, and for that reason, I think that they're bad. <laughs> I would say... <laughs> no just no to all lawn jockeys and then when i really started thinking about this i came to the conclusion why didn't they use a lawn gnome yeah that would have been so much funnier you're right that is funnier was 2003 like was that before the traveling gnome craze hit or was that 
Like well, I'm trying to remember the time frame of that. Ooh. Man, I bet I bet point. that they line up pretty close. So they had the availability of the gnome as a All right. Well, all I'm saying is they could have thought a little bit harder <laughs> and come up with something funny that wasn't also racist. That's you know what? That's what I was saying the entire fucking time I watched this both times. But it's kind of the same the same thing as like the blatant misogyny that's happening the whole time. It's like, well, if they think that's funny, of course they're going to think racism is funny, you know? Yeah. It's like it's expected. It's like targeting the same base humor it's also important to note that this character old man mcintyre is played by orson bean who's a really prolific tv actor he's been in a lot of stuff like i thought he was lloyd bridges at first he really reminds me of that oh well the video quality is so poor on the copy that we watched <laughs> that it, it's pretty easy to make that that mistake the only version of this that is up on youtube is really bad it's in um, 140 and it's in seven parts yeah <laughs> And you have to like search for each part because they don't show up one after the other. Yeah, that's the thing. Someone had made a playlist with all of them in there, but it also had a bunch of random music videos and these videos weren't even in the proper order. So the first time I went to watch it, it like skipped from the first episode to him in the lawn jockey uniform. And I was like, what in the hell? What, what was that cut? Orson Bean, my favorite role of his was on Bean, John Malkovich, where he played Dr. Lester. Oh. Do you remember this, Joe? I don't. But the elderly have so much to offer, sir. They're our link with history. I don't want to be your goddamn link, damn ya. I want to feel Flores' naked thighs next to mine. I want my body to inspire lust in that beautiful, complex woman. I want her to shiver with a spasm of ecstasy, Schwartz. As I penetrate her Dr. wet... Lester, while I'm flattered you would share your feelings with me, perhaps the workplace is not the most suitable environment for this type of discussion. All right, you're right, all right. I tell you what, meet me after work today at Jerry's Juiceteria on Lex, and I'll spill my goddamn guts for you. So, they're like putting landmines around Rochester and like chaining him down. You gotta go against the fucking Geneva Convention to protect your fucking lawn jockey. <laughs> then, of course, because we haven't had any boobs in like three minutes, a babe walks out. And it's uh, Old Man McIntyre's wife, and she's drinking a martini, and she's like in a night outfit. And she's asking him when he's going to come to bed. And she's really upset that he's so into this lawn jockey. And I honestly am as well. <laughs> <laughs> Like, maybe he should have gone to therapy about it, you know? It seemed like <laughs> it was interfering with his daily life. It's definitely interfering with his marriage. Yeah, it, he obviously has, like, paternal trauma surrounding this lawn jockey. Well, and she asked him why like what's the big deal and he says uh it's because it's the only thing my father ever left me but then he says but he also left me the mansion and all the money <laughs> so i don't know maybe that's that was the only gift that ever meant anything you know it wasn't just like money and stuff it was like there was some meaning behind it so anyway of course he wakes up the next morning and the statue's been stolen like this is what they've been setting up and the old man McIntyre runs out and immediately gets himself blown up by a landmine. We've all been there. The butler comes out with an enema bag, of course, because that's funny, right? Poop. 
<laughs> and so then we cut to the lawyer's office and the widow is um, sitting there watching the video will. And the deal is, according to the will, is that old man McIntyre wants to be buried with his lawn jockey, Rochester. And if for any reason that can't happen, he wants all of his money set on fire. <laughs> What a jerk. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, at least like give it to, I don't know, a university or something. No, or no. like the Lawn Jockey Association. No. no, just set it on fire. It's like one of those sick old people that leaves all their money to a fucking cat. <laughs> His wife gets it or it's all set on fire. Those are the stipulations. I have that same stipulation in my will. <laughs> Really? You've got it. You're sitting on a lot of cash there. I'm sitting on a lot of cash and a, a treasured lawn jockey. We really need to find a legal expert for this show. But from what I've been able to find from Googling, if you have a condition of a will that is impossible to perform and that is not the beneficiary's fault, then the, usually the court will go ahead and allow the beneficiary to collect the money. And since burning money on its face is ridiculous, probably any court would throw this out and she would just get the money. So why are we talking about this movie anymore now? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's Plymouth. It's Plymouth is flawed. This is, this is bullshit. <laughs> on its face. <laughs> but then uh, we get this great line. I had sex with that old man's genitals. Now give me my money. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what other part of him would you be having sex with? It's very specific. <laughs> So that's why she hires the knee-high P.I., because he will work on a budget. Which is also kind of degrading, you know? Like, why is he so cheap? Because yeah. he's short, short on money, short on costs, maybe? Mm, there's a joke in there, I see. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she, she pays him so little, and he's so excited about it. <laughs> like, $100 a day? Are you out of your fucking mind? Plus expenses. Plus expenses. Those better be some hefty expenses. So then we cut to the knee-high PI, and he's driving a muscle car. Uh, I think it's really interesting. He's shown driving a lot in this show, but they never really show how he's driving. They go out of their way to shoot the car in an angle so you can't see that he's like sitting on a box or has like special pedals or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's just something they didn't want to like have to deal with or like he didn't want to have to deal with. But then there was that moment where for some reason he had to use the door knocker on that house and he couldn't just <laughs> yes, like why? knock on who, the door. Who in the hell ever even uses a door knocker? It's an impediment. It's in the way of knocking on the door. So, yeah, it's not like they were going out of the way to, like, not show him doing things like that. Because there's several times when, when Bentley is, like, lifting him up to do things. Unnecessarily. Yeah. Right, yeah, like, as a joke. Like, to use the phone. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure payphone is long enough to reach to where he was standing. Yeah. I just was, I was amazed he was using a payphone. I had forgotten <laughs> about those. <laughs> Anyway, like they stop in an alley and he's doing all this like detective-y stuff. He's like climbing a ladder and going in a window and sneaking around. And then a cat jumps on him. And it turns out it's his mom's cat that's like crazy. It's like a setup for later. I will say this for the writers. They did do a lot of setup and payoff stuff in this show. You know, you get you get one star for that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I like to talk about the uh, the mom. Absolutely. Oh, yes. What? Like, why? 
why (laughs) why like i felt like for someone who is a little person that having that mom there further stigmatizes seeing them as children yeah you know yeah yeah and then she was just like a nymphomaniac i mean she was just any male person that came in her sphere of existence like she had to she had to fuck him she just had to his mom is played by nora dunn and she was on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. I saw that too. Yeah. So that means I get to play a Don Pardo clip right here. Joe, oh Joe, uh, Don, D- Don, are are you there? I'm everywhere, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I th- what I found interesting uh, also on Wikipedia was she boycotted uh, the last episode of the 1990s season. Because it was guest starring Andrew Dice Clay, and she found him offensive. And she claims this is why she was fired from the show, but uh, other people say that she was just kind of awful to work with, and it was the publicity stunt that backfired. And so here she is in this piece of shit, and she seems to have no problem with the misogyny that's going on. Yeah, it's pretty fucking rich, really. I mean, she was younger, she needed the money. <laughs> And that's why she quit Saturday Night Live? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Great. Like a great move. Mm-hmm. No, this was like 10 years after she had she had quit Saturday Night Live. So maybe she needed the money because uh, she was older. Yeah. she had. Maybe she really wrestled when she had the script. She was like, I really, this is not who I am, but I need some money and um, I'm going to do it. Yeah, she might have been in one of those Diane Weist situations, who apparently, despite having, I think, two Oscars, she can barely pay her rent. This is the part where we meet Bentley. That's your cousin, Bentley. Cousin? Wait a minute, you gotta be kidding me. Why? Look at him. He's a little on the dark side, isn't he? He's Rose's boy. Oh. The one who married the Sicilian. I feel like it was another cheap shot joke thing, you know? Yeah. It was a cheap shot both at his expense and at the expense of uh, Sicilians. A very str- yeah, strange bit of information. Yes, his introduction is definitely racist. <laughs> and also, was he supposed to be like a high schooler? Because he seemed kind of yeah old for that. He keeps calling him kid, too. Well, he says that he got in trouble in school. Mm-hmm. And what he's in trouble for, they kind of make it sound like he was a hacker. He was he was doing securities fraud. He was doing fucking penny stocks. This is probably right at the same time there was a kid who was like 13 years old who was doing pump and dump shit on Yahoo stock forums. This had to have been around that time when like E-Trade and Ameritrade, all those companies started popping up to make it easier for bu- to buy stocks. There was some kid that would get on there with different accounts and like hype up the various stocks that he had purchased and then you know pump them up and dump them so now the knee-high pi i'm just going to call him that i'm not going to call him hank bingo and bentley are like they're like teamed up and bentley seems to think that being a private eye is lame so uh knee-high pi is trying to convince him that being a pi is really cool I don't see what's so great about being a private dick anyway. I'll tell you what's so great about being a private dick. 
Broads, broads, and oh yeah, more broads. It's broads, broads, and more broads. Ugh, I roll. God. What the fuck? I really wish that these writers, well, actually, I don't wish they wrote anything else because it would probably be awful, but I wish that we at least had some sort of way of understanding where they're coming. Like, what What else to have these people done? Nothing. Surely they've done something. Maybe it just never made it anywhere. Internet movie database. One of them has, this is the only writing credit, is Kevin Lipsky. <laughs> and the other one. David Kepper. Yeah, David Kepper. I think he'd written one episode. Yeah, he wrote Da Vinci's Inquest. That sounds like another PI type show, really. Or no, he was like an extra named Addict. <laughs> so he was an extra on a show called Da Vinci's <laughs> Inquest, and that's it. God, I would love to know what these guys think about this now. Hmm. Like, I'd I'd like to hear them talk about Martin it. Martin Kleba still posts pictures of it on his Facebook pretty regularly. Wow. Okay, so Bentley and um. Nehi P.I. go and visit the Widow McIntyre, and uh, the Nehi P.I. immediately recognizes her from the strip club. The Blue Rhino, is it? Yeah, it's like the crushed rhino. I don't remember. But they actually, they call back to it later, because they actually go there. So again, like, you know, set up and pay off. Good job, guys, with with your writing. (laughs) Um... (laughs) She doesn't recognize him immediately, but then she does. After he puts the glasses on, then she's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then he crawls over and sits on her lap for the rest of the interview for no reason at all. Very unprofessional. Once again, very strange babification. So then they're asking her if they know anybody who might want the lawn jockey. And she tells them this insane story about her ex-husband, who's a psychotic person and he just shows up at her house and starts screaming and they have to call the police and he's arrested and that's the story basically i feel like that ex-husband might be a cameo from the toilet boys he's okay so this guy the character's don wiener donnie wiener wiener donnie wiener yeah, donnie wiener so i found his his casting page his la casting page and it is something else his name is Jeffrey Dammit? Yeah, Jeffrey Dammit. So he has to be from the Toilet Boys. That's <laughs> such like a bird brain fucking <laughs> punk rock guy name. His skills are acrobatics, archery, basketball, billiards playing, bowling, boxing, canoeing, driving a boat. Jesus Christ. His, da- his dance styles are club <laughs> slash freestyle, swing, and waltz. He speaks fucking Yiddish. <laughs> That's his only language. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, it is. <laughs> My God. Now, this guy rules. <laughs> now, he's awesome. <laughs> We're going to, let's get him on the pod. So, okay, so they they go out and they do they actually do some detective work. Amazingly, <laughs> the Nehi PI is using a magnifying glass and he finds a grain of sand. They bag it and tag it and they're going to examine it. And then he ties up the butler and beats him for no reason at all. 
<laughs> that dog doesn't like meeting butlers, apparently. No, he hates butlers. <laughs> so an ambulance has to be called to take him away. And this is like the recurring theme of the show. Nehi P.I. beats someone. The ambulance has to show up. And then the two characters, I just call them Fat Cop and Lady Cop, show up and berate the Nehi P.I. for being an insane maniac. <laughs> Did you recognize the Fat Cop? It's Jerry from Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Thank God this show did not take off because we would have been right. robbed of Jerry from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> and um, Lady Cop, her name is Ion Overman. That's a great name. Which is a really sweet name. So then Bentley and the Nehi PI are like, uh, they go and they stake out the strip club um, waiting for Donnie Wiener to come out. <laughs> so they like sit out in the car and wait there all night. And then when he finally comes out in the morning, they stick his mom's crazy cat on them. So that's the payoff for the cat. Good (laughs) job, guys. But the reason he freaks out about that situation is not because of the cat. It's because he is very disturbed by little people fingers. Yes. Even though his last name is Wiener, he's afraid of their hot dog fingers. (laughs) So I'm disappointed that they don't show any of the cat attack. You just hear it, and it's like they add in like a lion roar and shit. Oh god, that sound effects reminds me of that at the later in the movie, the um, Australian guy who's like doing origami. With, did you that sound that they chose for that was sickening? Yes, I literally wrote down that this show has like the most disgusting foley work I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> So apparently what we learn at this point is that off screen, the widow got a ransom note and she's like in bed with an Australian negotiator. He's doing penis origami. Like. My God, that does look like the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Never going to see this again. So what he's doing is called the puppetry of penis. And it's a real thing. I'm sorry, what? It's called... The puppetry of penis, it is Australian, and it is a real thing. Is it safe to look this up? Uh, What I know about the puppetry of penis is when Netflix used to be on DVDs, I saw it one time and and put it on my queue, and I watched about about three seconds of it before it was too – it was just too upsetting, and I had to turn it (laughs) off. Wow. I just found um, puppetry of penis of the penis.com. (laughs) <laughs> oh no it looks really painful but you know i mean like i guess if you want to make like balloon animals out of your penis like it's your own body you know if that's what you want to do yeah dare, dare to dream people <laughs> wait, people want to do it and other people want to watch you do it so i you know i'm all for it yeah i guess <laughs> would this have been at the time that that special came out on dvd uh 1997 is when oh, oh wow yeah Oh, wait, hold That's on. That's way earlier than I would have thought. 98, the first. No, the, the documentary came out in 2000. So it's it's completely contemporary with this. Mm-hmm. But also a little late on that joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we leave that completely pointless scene and go to another completely pointless scene. <laughs> <laughs> This was my favorite idea from the show, although everything about it I hated. <laughs> they go to meet Fudgy 
the informant who's a homeless man and he lives in a box that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside the shirt he lives in a cardboard tardis which was awesome i like when i saw that and i saw them crawling in there i was like oh man i hope it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside that's gonna be great yeah fudgy is delightful that, that scene is just delightful. Yeah, that's probably my favorite character, honestly. I, I wrote down the same thing. He's he's my favorite part of the show. So Fudgy is played by character actor Larry Hankin, and he's been in everything. Like, he's shown up in everything. Okay, so it is him. He's a, this yeah, is a real uh, journeyman actor. He's been, he's been in everything for years and years and years. Most people probably know him best from Breaking Bad when he, he's the guy working in the, the salvage yard. And Hank shows up and tries to, to search the, the Winnebago, and he argues with them about it being a domicile. Ah, yeah. uh, yes. You got a warrant? Well, I don't need one if I've got probable cause, counselor. Probable cause usually relates to vehicles, is my understanding. You know, traffic stops and whatnot. These round rubber things, there's wheels. This is a vehicle. This is a domicile, a residence, and thus protected by the Fourth Amendment from unlawful search and seizure. Look, buddy, why don't you just go Did out Did you see us drive in here? How do you know it runs? Did you actually witness any wrongdoing? It seems to me you're just out here fishing. Um, yes. But he's but he was in Home Alone. He was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He was in TNG. He was in Friends. And he has five projects right now listed on IMDb in post-production. So this is a working man. Oh, he's still alive. Yes. Wow. I really like Fudgy. The only thing is he seems like really obsessed with hilariously expired food. And he wants to eat it and show you that he's eating it. <laughs> and I hated that. <laughs> it just totally ruined the whole like... TARDIS cardboard box for me. It would have been funnier if like he had fancy tea or something like that, you know, and his Yeah, I thought uh, caviar? Yeah. Something. Yeah, you know, that what I thought they were setting up when they first meet him, he's like laying on his side in the alley and he's all drunk and, and you know, and then all of a sudden he just kind of perks up and he's like, "Let's go in my house." And then he's like, if he'd like gone in there and just become like a normal person and started mixing them drinks and talking. That would have been funny. Yeah. Like he's playing a character outside, like he's like a secret agent or something. But that would have been too intellectual for this film. But instead, he's actually just a crazy homeless person <laughs> and he keeps doing crazy homeless things. Yeah. They also do the leprechaun yeah. bit. Like, oh, I thought you were a leprechaun. <laughs> you got to look out for those leprechauns. He's like, is it St. Patty's Day? So they're asking him for information and he tells them the Arabs and Oprah are involved. And this would have been in the height of the uh, Iraq war. So, yes. you know, they got to get the Arabs in there somehow. Yes, right? but that's the thing is that they keep mentioning Arabs. And then later he's in Iran, who are famously not Arabs. <laughs> I don't think they conducted any research prior to writing this film. No, not at all. They just knew, you know, ooh, Middle East, lots of sand. Well, Bad people. They're brown people. Brown yeah, people. Exactly. They're also playing sitar during that whole scene, which makes no sense at all. Jesus. Because sitar is Indian. Yeah. They couldn't get that little instrument that's like, <laughs> you know, the one. I guess they could have had like a, a the call to prayer and then a very yellowed shot of a rundown city made of like yellow stone building. 
Well, that would have made more sense if they'd at least done the call to parrot. I'm sure you can get that public domain somewhere. It would have taken too much time. Someone, somebody has to look it up. Somebody has to do research. I mean, geez. Yeah, you can get it. You can get it with a Zoom recorder at your local mosque. They just needed to get Martin into a, a jockey uniform. That is all they wanted to accomplish. Yes. So the NEIPI decides he needs to figure out what the police know. And this is the worst scene in this whole show. This is this is it. He calls in a false fire alarm so that he can get the lady cop to come up to his office where he's sitting naked on a couch and he's wearing a cowboy hat and has ice cream on his dick. Like an ice cream sundae with a fucking cherry on top. <laughs> what? What? Why? <laughs> like, and he, I guess he thinks he's going to seduce her. That's the idea into giving information. Was it even set up? This just came out of nowhere. Well, it was set up that they had slept together before in the, their first interaction. Huh. She was like, you'll never fool me into that again. Oh. Yeah, but she seemed pretty upset about it. Like, she didn't seem, like, still interested in doing that again. Yeah. It, it's pointless, too, because she doesn't tell him anything. Like, it's this completely pointless scene for no reason that's really awful. Maybe it was part of his agreement in acting in this film was that he had to have a fully nude he, scene. He's awfully proud of it because this he definitely posted this on his Facebook page not that long ago. <laughs> he's still living in that moment. <laughs> yeah, the scene of just him standing there with the with the cowboy hat on. He thought that he was really proud of that. Damn, seems so long ago. I used to look so good. Which I will say, my man is fucking straight up shredded. He is ripped. He's ripped. He's a stunt dude, you know? They've got to throw him like he's a <laughs> like he's a child. <laughs> and he's got to be able to land on his feet, right? <laughs> <laughs> I also want to point out the cleaning lady who's uh pat crawford brown and if she looks familiar it's because you've definitely seen her before she's got a huge huge resume she was already 74 when they shot this and she was working right up until she died in 2019 definitely a working actor the greatest generation (laughs) (laughs) yeah she and the guy that plays fudgy and uh another guy that i guess we'll get to uh the sheik Oh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to the Sheik. Yeah, we will get to the Sheik. Definitely the best performances in this entire gigantic piece of shit. Yeah, I kind of liked her because she was just like, oh, nice ass. And then he covered himself up. And she's like, oh, oh, I like that too. Nice ass. Mm, that's even better. <laughs> you know, oh, even better. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole scene gets an F. And it's pointless. That's the, that's the thing. I want to drive home here. The scene is completely pointless. So I guess later the same day, he meets Bentley, and Bentley has been doing some internet research. Bentley has been looking up on the internet, and he, he sees that McIntyre's brother is insane. See, it turns out that McIntyre's brother, Kevin, is insane and has been since the age of 25. In the early 30s, he was this top banjo player, but when he found out that banjo music sucked and that nobody liked it, then he went nuts. He had to be hospitalized. (laughs) (laughs) I actually laughed at that part. So they're just showing a website of an old man standing in front of a bunch of guitars holding a banjo, and it just says, Banjo Player Extraordinaire, and Extraordinaire is misspelled. 
<laughs> it looks to me like they went inside of a guitar center into like the acoustic room and took a picture. Cause I don't know why he's a banjo player extraordinary and he's surrounded by guitars. <laughs> so anyway, then he says in the early eighties, the hospitals went through some sort of financial crisis when a whole bunch of loony birds had to be let back out on the street. Right. See, he disappeared right until last year. He formed a group called the Lawn Jockey Liberation Front. It's just like this complete waste of time to just get us to the scene with all the little people (laughs) in the support group. I'm sure this was in all of the ads. This is the Lawn Jockey Liberation Front. And it looks like they're in like a classroom or a church. And there's like a semicircular in, you know, and they're sitting in front of a podium. And honestly, I have to applaud Martin Klaba for this scene because obviously what he's doing was he got all of his little people actor friends and he made sure that they all got their day wage and all they had to do was sit in a chair. Yeah. That is that is absolutely what this scene is. He got he, he was like, I got I got greenlit on a pilot and everybody's getting paid. <laughs> so way to go, Martin Klaba. That was nice on him. Yeah. He um he's like um, in charge of some organization, I think the Dwarf Advocacy or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, you're right. I saw that as well. Uh, and it, it actually, the proceeds go 100% to the cause of the charity, unlike most of he them. He gets another star. So far, he's got, he's got two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so two, two kudos. So this is Kevin McIntyre. So he's the brother of the guy who died from the landmine. Old Man McIntyre, I don't really think that they play on that very much. But anyway, he's standing up in front of these people giving a lecture about their failures to raise advocacy about how terrible lawn jockeys are. And then after the meeting, the knee-high PI and Bentley confront McIntyre about stealing the lawn jockey. And he just confesses to everything, but says they can't prove it in any way in a court of law. And so... The NEIPI pulls out a like a welding torch. Yeah, just a blowtorch. He brought his, his welding mask, too. He was prepared. Yeah, I don't know where he was hiding that, but all of a sudden <laughs> he has that, and he just attacks this poor man. And, of course, again, the ambulance and the fat cop and the lady cop show up, and this is the last time you ever see them. That's it. Lady cop and fat cop are gone. They don't show up at the end to wrap things up, which I feel like they should have. So anyway, he goes to jail, finally, for beating someone. And then, this scene was really bizarre. The Nehi P.I. is leaving the police station. Um, and he's been, I guess he's been there over the weekend in a holding cell. And there's a guy with him, and they're walking along. And the, and the guy with him kind of looks like a redneck. He's like got sleeveless shirt and dirty jeans. He's kind of overweight. And he says, You're the best cellmate I've ever had. Should be a life coach. I love you, man. What a butt cheese. <laughs> what a butt cheese. Catch that before I caught something else, though. I didn't catch the butt cheese part either. So then Bentley is like, sitting there and he's making fun of him for getting arrested. And the Nehi PI says, Don't give me that. I just spent the weekend in a holding cell with a predatory homosexual. Yeah. It's also confusing that they called him a predatory homosexual when they were, like, perfectly fine using a full-throated F-slur at the beginning towards the fat cop. (laughs) And also, like, taking concubine women and... Just kidnapping some ladies. Yeah, and just putting them in the plane, and that was fine. Well, they literally treat the women like objects. Like, they're just like, I found these, can I keep them? 
Mm-hmm. And just like carries them onto the helicopter. <laughs> Would they have been in subsequent episodes, you think, if this had gone, the gone on longer? Yeah, the concubines all working in his office. I mean, you're giving them way too much credit because that would actually be funny if hired them as secretaries and they were just there for the rest of the show. Yeah. That would be great. That would be funny. Yeah, that <laughs> could be funny. So we find out everything was solved mostly while he was in jail once again all this stuff happened off scene (laughs) and bentley just explains to him that it was the butler the ex-husband and the brother who all conspired together to make a fake rochester and then ransom it back to the widow and i guess sell the real one just to have just to have it that was their plan they just want to have it so there are now two rochesters two lawn jockeys and this is all like told this weird flashback where they're all painting the lawn jockey together to make sure it looks like Rochester. And it's just like, why? We just went through two completely pointless scenes. One was like a really disturbing sexual assault. And then all of a sudden you've actually got something that's a real plot point and you're just hand waving. Oh yeah, this happened off steam. It's just insultingly bad writing. Why didn't you show us any of this happening? There was no buildup to any of the characters that were actually involved. If you're going to tell a story, show the interesting stuff. Don't just put it in a flashback. So now the whole thing is they need to figure out where the real Rochester is. And the knee-high PI gets so excited that he jumps up in the air and he yells because he's going to get his $100 a day. Mrs. McIntyre called and you're back on the case at $100 a day plus expenses. <laughs> and it's so exciting. So the next scene, we actually get Bentley, who's actually doing real detective work. He's using Search Internet King search engine, and he has discovered that there are lawn jockeys missing all over the world. This is a worldwide epidemic of lawn jockeys going missing. And we're reminded. Do you guys remember at the beginning, Justice Clara Thomas, <laughs> that's what set this all off. His lawn jockey was stolen. So Bentley and the knee-high PI set a trap. And we finally get to see the knee-high PI dressed up like a lawn jockey. <laughs> it's been a long journey, but we're finally here. In beautiful purple and gold. And it, like <laughs> meticulously tailored to his body. Yeah, form-fitting. They probably spent the most money on that. I think so. He probably has it in his house, like in a, a glass case. Absolutely. Like you're at a fucking uh, uh, Planet Hollywood. Yes. He's not only just any lawn jockey. He is the lawn jockey supposedly owned by Abraham Lincoln. And they show a newspaper announcing that it's going to be on display in someone's front yard. Which just makes you miss newspapers and all the useful information that they used to give you. So he's standing in the front yard. And this was kind of amazing to me because he just stands there for like hours and it's like no big deal. And a dog comes and pees on him, of course. And then it starts raining. And then it's just like stops raining. And I guess he falls asleep standing up. And someone comes and bags him. And perfectly rigid as well. He never wakes up during this whole process. He wakes up and he's standing in Iran. Just standing. So somehow he's been standing this whole time. Convincingly enough that someone thought he was a statue the whole time. So I kind of thought when he was standing in the lawn and it started to rain, that they were going to have lightning strike him and uh, make him black. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the only credit I can give this fucking show is that it didn't put him in blackface. <laughs> Thank God. I was just waiting for I it. I thought you were going to say get superpowers. No. <laughs> that would be great. Just go a totally different direction. So he's in Iran and he looks around and he is in a field of lawn jockeys <laughs> and he pulls out his phone. <laughs> his Hello Kitty phone from Radio Shack. Right. We did skip over that. He and Bentley get phones from Radio Shack, which I think even in 2003, that's all Radio Shack did was sell cell phones. So I don't know what the joke was there. <laughs> but his cell phone says, no service you're in Iran, stupid, in all caps. <laughs> I wish my phone was that blunt, yeah. honest with me. You, you know? forgot to pay your bill, asshole. <laughs> um, yeah. So he screams. This is the only time I laughed in the entire show. So the guards hear him, and one of the guards says, Did you hear that? Hear what? The shriek. I didn't know he was back from the embassy yet. <laughs> the only good joke in the entire show yeah. and it's not even really that funny it's pretty bad actually oh in my opinion the best joke is is coming up so the guards come and the knee-high pi just holds really still this is like the whole joke for the entire rest of the show is that iran people can't tell the difference between a lawn jockey and a little person even when he's running around they're like lawn jockeys Stop being alive and stand still and come back. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what the Iran-Iraq war was all about. And then one of the guards just wipes camel shit on him for no reason. <laughs> just wipes his shoe on him. Um, you know, because that's a shit joke we haven't made yet. It's just someone wiping shit it's on shit somebody. Joke and like the cheapest, laziest bullshit joke of like, oh, the camels, they got loose in the in the lawn jockey field. Yeah, yeah. I hate this show so much. <laughs> so the soup Nazi walks out with Kevin <laughs> Kilner. I kind of think of him as the poor man's Patrick Warburton, Putty from Seinfeld. Okay. Fairly prolific. Um, the line here is, Good Lord. Looks like the Million Man March out there. Oh, what God the damn fuck? it. Oh, God. Yeah. That what was... the fuck? I, uh, I almost yelled at that fucking line. Just... I mean, you're clearly giving away that the reason why you're using lawn jockeys is because they're racist and you think that's funny. It's just so fucking lazy. So the soup Nazi chic, he's explaining. So the other guy is the ambassador to the United States. Yeah. And he's explaining to him that his family has been trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Records for generations. And he wants to have the world's largest lawn jockey collection. And he shows him these paintings on the wall. And he says, My great aunt Mothra, who tried to get in for the largest collection of belly button lint. But guess who beat her? Oprah Winfrey. Of course. Because, <laughs> like, get in another jab at Oprah. Damn you, Oprah. And I would like to note here, as of 2010, Graham Barker has the current world record for belly button fluff. He saved 22.1 grams of lint every day for 26 years. And the 45-year-old harvests the lint as part of his nightly routine and has now filled more than three jars of material. <sighs> what a fucking loser. Cool hobby. <laughs> what a loser. So then the next one is his uncle, Smaghetti. 
who try to get in for eating the most hot dogs whilst having the longest moustache and fingernails. <laughs> I guess you beat that record. Janet Reno. <laughs> of course. Let's get in a Janet Reno is ugly joke in here. And for the record, the current world record holder for the most hot dogs eaten is Joey Chestnut. Oh, God. World of competitive eating is super fascinating. And I encourage anybody uh, listening to this to go out and uh, check out Joey Chestnut. The things he does to his body to win eating contests, to be a professional eater, pretty remarkable. What is, what is the, uh, did you look up the record for lawn jockey collection? I didn't. I couldn't find one. I don't think. I don't think there actually is a record. I, I actually. I didn't even think to look that up. Well, shit. I'm gonna go get you two of them, Stuart, and uh, then you'll have the biggest uh, collection. I don't want anyone to know that I owned a lawn chop. <laughs> you don't put them in your yard. You put them in the bedroom so they can watch you sleep. Protect you. It's a dirty secret that you hide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm actually gonna Google that right now. Lawn jockey collection. Forty. 40, no, there's nothing. Sounds like you have a new record that you could reach pretty easily then. If you put lawn jockeys in my yard, I'm going to put them in your yard when you're not looking. <laughs> yeah. You're going to wake up one morning and you're going to have like 50 lawn jockeys in your yard. <laughs> no! It's going to start a GoFundMe for you. Get Stuart the largest lawn jockey collection. So the sheik, he's talking to the ambassador, and he wants him to lift sanctions on Iran so he can import more high-quality lawn jockeys from the United States. I, I guess you need high-quality lawn jockeys to win the record. It's about quality, not quantity. <laughs> they have a lawn jockey commission that comes by and checks out <laughs> the validity of it. Yeah, the lawn jockey <laughs> governing board. The lawn jockey council. <laughs> And then he gives him a joint to smoke for some reason yeah. and tells him that he needs to go service his concubines for five to ten hours. <laughs> Iranian cigarettes, these pack a pun, it's because they're not tobacco, which, could they not just say it was marijuana? Is it hashish? Yeah, my first thought was opium. Maybe it is opium. I just was like, oh, it's just marijuana, whatever. That seemed to be the joke. The Nehi PI, he's been like standing there the whole time pretending to be a jockey, and he tries to make contact with the ambassador who's been smoking weed for like a minute and a half and is now stoned already. And he thinks he's hallucinating because the knee IPI is talking to him. And the knee IPI says, you have to get me out of here. And the ambassador says, but you're a jockey. Don't you want to stay here with your little friends? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a pretty good joke. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I can get you out of here. It's just going to take 10, 15 months of paperwork. And then the sheik just shows back up. He just comes back in and says, "Oh, I'm done. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have it in me or whatever." And he says, "Come, let me show you my collection of celebrity porn." And he's like, "Wait, let me tie my shoe." <laughs> Why did he need to tie? He his needed some time to, you know, <laughs> work, work out, out his, his situation. His mystical talking lawn jockey situation. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah. So then he's still talking to him, but they don't get anywhere. He just tells mm -hmm. him it's going to take a whole a long time to get out. So the PI, I guess he's just like standing there and he gets tired of standing there and just says, screw this and starts running through the palace. And he sees a sign. There's just a sign that says celebrity porn collection this way. And he can't turn it down. He just yeah. cannot help himself. He's just so goddamn horny. Yeah, playing like spy music. He's pretending like he's being a PI, but it's totally not what's happening at all. And he has to run up the stairs 
to go and see the celebrity porn collection. And of course, when he goes in there, it's not attractive celebrities. These are ugly celebrities, actually. Well, hold on. I take umbrage with this because Martha Stewart still is and was a total fucking dime. Just absolutely. <laughs> totally. A 10 out of 10 smoke show. Yeah. It is pretty insulting that they're just like, these are ugly celebrities. Right. We're going to, you know, single them out. Like Whoopi Goldberg was there. Yeah. Dan Rather. Which, that was a joke from something else, and I can't remember what it was. Some joke about there being nudes of Whoopi Goldberg, which I'm surprised that it wasn't Oprah, just to fit with the fucking motif of awful Oprah jokes. I've written down Barbara Bush, Judge Judy, Dan that Rather. That not Judge Judy, my friend. Who was it? That was Laura Bush. Judge Judy. <laughs> oh! Also, okay. I have a theory that Larry King is one of the horniest people that has ever lived. There 100% exists a photograph of Larry King in that exact same pose. I don't know if these fucking Z-tier writers would have been privy to uh, <laughs> any sort of horny Larry King pictures, but I'm sure they exist somewhere. He just seems like that kind of guy, right? Yeah, I don't know. Larry King is an interesting, weird person. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. A, and he's still alive, which is amazing. Yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah, if you ever want just an interesting little 30-minute to an hour or rabbit hole to go down, go through some of his tweets. They're very strange. They're very just like normie dipshit kind of stuff that are very funny. Is it like commenting on things that have no context? Yes, exactly. And it's hashtag my two cents. <laughs> And then it's just whatever the tweet is. <laughs> They're pretty funny. <laughs> you ever wonder, mm -hmm. like uh, Andy Rooney type? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you ever wonder why? <laughs> why when it's raining, you can't get a taxi? I have. <laughs> that sounds delightful. <laughs> why do you park on a driveway and drive on a parkway? I'm Andy Rooney. That's Gallagher. Did Gallagher actually do that as a stand-up joke? <laughs> Yeah, he did. He had a whole routine about like language. He'd be like, oh, "That guy is such know. a bummer." Bomb, B O M B. All right, T O M B. Tom? No, tomb. All right, T O M B. Tomb. C O M B. Coom? Calm. All right, C O M B. Calm. P O M B. Pong? No, P O E M. Pong. All right, P O E M. Pong. H O E M. Home. No, H O M. Just like on and on and on like that. What an exhausting fucking. What, 20 uh, minute build up to smashing a watermelon? And the knee high PI would pop out. Yes. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> Great callback. Oh my God. So he, he comes out of this porn celebrity gallery screaming my eyes. There's a guy coming up the stairs. And he's just talking about how much he's eaten. Yeah, he shouldn't have had that second helping of Baba Ganoush. <laughs> and then he says, I've been rubbing my wiping hand raw. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then he smells it. And then he just like, starts farting a whole bunch. And he's just, you know, he's just coming up the stairs. And then the knee-high PI runs into the bathroom to hide. Obviously, that's where he's going. The knee-high PI is pretending to be a toilet paper dispenser. <laughs> yeah. And again, the guy doesn't notice that there's a man standing here. 
And he just sits down and has very loud diarrhea. While looking at foot porn. While looking at a foot magazine. It should be noted, the farts sound oddly similar to the <laughs> genital origami. They just reuse that same sound effect. <laughs> the fucking the, uh, the hand wiping thing, by the way, is an Islamic... It has to do with a, th- a thing in Islam where you like can only use one hand for wiping. Yeah, and then one hand for yeah. eating. That was like like a racist stereotype or a you know like oh a for myth. sure oh that's definitely there and yeah it's not like they wipe with a bare hand that's not what it means i feel like i've heard that about like any culture they'll just say like yeah, yeah make sure you shake with you know shake their left hand because they use their right mm-hmm. hand you know what they use their right mm-hmm. hand for like i've heard people say that about like canadians or you know like the irish <laughs> or anybody you know like any culture and also the thing about this scene is you guys remember in dumb and dumber you know, it's not this exact same scenario, but it's basically like Harry just has loud diarrhea. Mm-hmm. In that movie, it's hilarious. It's very funny. And in this movie, it's not. It's like there's a way to do this. Like if you had to have a diarrhea joke, you could have done it in a way that was funny. There's so many diarrhea jokes that I've seen in movies that are hilarious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in uh, Bridesmaids, where Melissa McCarthy <laughs> is having diarrhea in a toilet. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So it's like, it's not what they're doing, it's how they're doing it that's not funny. Yeah. So he finds a phone and he calls his office and Bentley answers. Mommy's having a three-way behind a very thin frosted glass wall. What's mom doing? Oh, she's making herself a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah, she's having a three-way in front of her nephew at the office. It's just like, again, like just wasting our time with something that's not funny. Yeah, this lady should have her kid taken I away. know. That is, in normal life, that would happen, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think so. He tells him he's in Iran. Um, Yeah, come and save me. And he hangs up. He doesn't give him any information at all. And then this is the scene where he finds the concubines. And I, I guess he has sex with all of them? Is That's what's implied here? He does them so good, they're all just, like, passed out afterward. Yeah, they rip his clothes off and they're throwing them into the air. And this has been set up from the beginning that this is what happens, right? Yep. He's a player in a And he, he says something like, I told you I was a professional. <laughs> God. So while this is going on, Bentley is doing real detective work. He goes and he finds Clarence Thomas, who's at a strip club. <laughs> yes. This is my favorite part of the entire movie, by the way. Clarence Thomas is is portrayed in this way <laughs> well yeah i mean he kind of is this way yeah that's the best part that was actually it. um live footage that was recorded via a hidden camera <laughs> yeah. like they caught him at the spearmint rhino <laughs> this portion is actually documentary <laughs> he makes this joke where he says i think you put something in my coke which is a direct reference to the fucking anita hill hero. i didn't even Ugh. think about that oh i hate it even more now Oh. Yeah, it's despicable. It's it's horrible. And it's like not necessary. Who was this film made for? Uh, fucking people that check the chive every day, I assume. <laughs> the people that were watching Comedy Central on a Sunday afternoon in 2003. <laughs> You're right. Actually, you know what? I know exactly who this movie was marketed towards. The 
same people that purchased from the fucking late night Comedy Central infomercials the DVD movie, the underground comedy movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wildly specific. Yeah. They marketed that movie for about four years, and I rewatched it recently, and it is definitely the worst movie I've ever seen. I've never seen that. It was made, directed, and funded by... The fucking Slap Chop guy, Vince Offer. Oh. Hi, it's Vince with Slap Chop. You're going to be in a great mood all day because you're going to be slapping your troubles away with the Slap Chop. And he, at some point, tried to sue the Farrelly brothers because they had the come in the hair bit in uh, Something About Mary. Yeah. He claimed that they had stolen that from his movie that nobody fucking saw. If you want to truly torture yourself, that is somehow worse than I this. I don't think I need to watch something worse than this. Well, no. <laughs> I'm already trolling YouTube for pilots. Like, nobody wanted and have been thrown away by history. Yeah. This movie was also thrown away by history. A buddy of mine found it on a super private torrent server. It's nowhere anymore. You, of all people, should watch it. It's fucking awful. Oh. But anyway... The best joke in the entire fucking pilot is when he's talking to Clarence Thomas and he's like, Clarence Thomas, I have something for you. And he's like, pornography? And he goes, no, better than that. And he goes, better than pornography? (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad laughing at that. (laughs) Yeah. That's Clarence Thomas. He's a horny old man. <laughs> guess he tells him that he knows where his lawn jockey is. I don't know how he got that information. I guess that's what the NEIPI told him over the phone. Like, I'm in Iran in a world record setting lawn jockey place. <laughs> what do you think we do on the Supreme Court? Not go to... But no, he never said that. He's wearing his robe, by the way, at the strip club. Oh, was he wearing his judicial robes? Well, to be fair, if you were on the Supreme Court, you're telling me that you wouldn't just always wear your <laughs> fucking robe? Yeah, might as well. It'd be super easy. <laughs> so then we cut back to Iran, and the EIPI is smoking a cigarette because on this show, that is code for I just had sex a lot. <laughs> So he's, like, standing outside, and a guard comes up to him and, like, bums a cigarette. (laughs) And then it, like, takes him a minute, and he's like, oh, you're a lawn jockey! And then he starts screaming and going crazy and running in circles. And the Nihai P.I. takes off running, and he goes to the stables. Do you think he's going to go riding on a little horse? Or or a little camel? I I guess they don't have the budget for that, because they've got a a horse, a dog, and then, like, a little dirt bike. (laughs) Like a kid's dirt bike. (laughs) Yeah. So now he's riding around on a little kid's dirt bike and they're like chasing him with semi-automatic weapons and shooting into the air and he manages to escape and they're chasing him in cars and he's riding across the desert and and then he sees helicopters. So then we cut to what's going on inside the helicopters and who would you think would show up, Joe, here? Did you notice this? It's SEAL Team 6. Yeah, but who's the commander? Oh, shit. No, I don't remember. It's our friend from Pistol Pete, Mark Derwin, the deputy. Oh, fuck. He's the commander in the, in, the, in the helicopter. 
I did not recognize him. From our last episode, oh Weird Connection, Mark Derwin. That's absolutely he's crazy. Not, he's only in it for a second. The ambassador from earlier is also in the helicopter, and he's like smoking joints like crazy and has them all stuck in his hat. And then they have this conversation where he, Mark Derwin says, I can't believe the president authorized this mission to rescue Clarence Thomas's lawn jockey. And then the ambassador says something. It's really hard to understand, but I think what he says is... Clarence Thomas and President Bush are tight. It's payback for sending Gore and his pain-in-the-ass wife back to the sticks. Oh, is that what he said? Yes. I was trying to fucking suss that out. Yeah, it took me a couple times to catch, but I think he's referring to Bush v. Gore, which Mm -hmm. just happened. Yeah. And gave Bush the White House. So basically, the president is doing Clarence Thomas a favor for rigging the Supreme Court so he won the presidency. <laughs> Clarence Thomas is calling in this favor. This is, I, this is a conspiracy theory that I hope is, is true. Well, it's a pretty big favor to call in from Clarence Thomas for his lawn jog. He traded the White House for this. <laughs> you, you you will never know how important a lawn jockey is until you have a relationship with one. <laughs> it's deeper than the love of a mother and child. Obviously. Okay, so the, the helicopter lands in the sheik's yard, and all the army guys get out, and they just start grabbing lawn jockeys. And the guy's just like, move, move, as many as you can, grab them. And then he's also yelling, I love my job, I love my job, grab all the <laughs> yell army shit. And then one army guy, we mentioned this earlier, but he comes back, he has two concubines, and he asks if he can keep them. So he's literally treating women like objects, like they're being treated just like the lawn job. They're just like slung over his shoulder. I mean, that's exactly what we did in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Yeah, you never even see their faces. They're just in and out. (laughs) So then we cut back to them chasing the NEIPI through the village. And I guess there's one car that's following him, and he leads them into a quicksand factory, which is a thing, I guess. (laughs) I mean, literally, it says quicksand factory. They back their car into a quicksand pit, and it starts sinking. And they're both screaming. But for some reason, it's sinking very slowly. This was like the second thing that I kind of almost thought was funny because if they're sinking and it's taking so long and then they keep cutting back to them like playing board games. That was like a naked gun move right there. Yeah. Why didn't they just get out of the car? (laughs) Am I asking too much? Was it maybe just a direct reference to the uh, Austin Powers bit where he's driving over him with the fucking steamroller or whatever? Oh, yeah. Except that was funny. Yeah. (laughs) This really isn't that funny. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of them has the line, which was... Death is taking a long time. Don't worry. It will come. (laughs) (laughs) Weak. So weak. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile... Uh, the soup Nazi has showed up and he starts ordering his henchmen to run different ways. You go that way. You go that way. And then he tells one guy, and you go talk to that camel. Yeah. It took a dark turn for this. It was like he didn't know what a camel was or he'd never seen a camel. He looks at the camel and he says, tell me where the lawn jockey is or I will make furious love to you. God. And then he puts his face in the camel's mouth. I thought the camel looked really unhappy about this. Did PETA get called on this? Because they should. <laughs> and then we see he's smoking a cigarette and the camel for some reason now is wearing a veil so turns out the knee-high pi is hiding in a pile of camel shit and then he punches one of the henchmen in the crotch then he leads the sheik into the quicksand factory and onto a tower and he says the line good night (laughs) iran 
This makes no sense. Like he's a late night talk show host. I thought that was almost funny. It was almost like a Schwarzenegger line. And the sheik falls onto the hood of the car. It's been sinking for hours and they all just scream. And it takes a long time, but eventually the car sinks and they all die. Then we just cut to the Nehi PI's office and they get a package. And of course, it's the Nehi PI. He's in the box. He mailed himself home from Iran. Just like normal. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's the opposite of mailing yourself to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, mail yourself back from Abu Dhabi. And of course, while all this was going on, the case was solved off screen. And uh, we wasted about a quarter of the show watching a bunch of unfunny racist nonsense. And the army guys, I guess, saved Rochester while we weren't looking. And so the statue's in the casket for the in time for the funeral. And that is it. And the PI served absolutely no purpose in solving this case. Right. He did nothing. Mm. He did absolutely nothing. Well, he found a grain of sand, yeah. which I don't know if it actually led to anywhere. But, I mean, it was sand from Iran. <laughs> oh, yes. We do get a prologue where they make a joke about Michael yep. Jackson molesting children. For good measure, we got to get that in there. A good child rape joke. Yeah. But other than that, that's it. That's that's all there is to Nehi P.I. The heartwarming tale of a racist old man and his racist ephemera. <laughs> Such a piece of shit. I could not find a single review for this. I looked really hard. The only things I could find was like placeholder sites. Nothing on them. It was just stuff that had been scraped from IMDb. But I did find a forum... It's the iMockery Forum, and they had a thread of about five people. This was published October 16, 2003, so it would have been three days after this show aired on Comedy Central. So this is the review from Jixby Phillips. The production company that made this movie is called I Like Pies. And in the opening scene, there's a part where a woman takes off her top, and their main character reacts to the off-camera boobies all like googly eyes emoticon that's my review <laughs> and then a few people argue it's not really a show it's a movie no it's a show no it's a movie and then as of october 20th 2003 nobody else has said anything so there was a review on imdb did you see oh yeah there were two no i didn't yeah there was one was a pretty good review and the other one was a terrible review the good one was written by who daddy i love his reviews um, also in 2003, and he said, who's the guy making out with a camel? The movie was pretty entertaining. A midget private investigator? The writer has to have an amazing sense of humor. The funniest thing about the movie is when a guy actually makes out with a camel. There has to be some kind of award for that. Maybe MTV's best kiss on screen. Nice, all caps, four exclamation points. Yeah, that review was by Borat. <laughs> I can't disagree. It should have won Best Kiss on the MTV Movie Awards for sure. Who doesn't want to kiss a camel? They're so cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I did want to point out, have you guys ever seen Life is Short? Mm -mm. Well, it's a BBC show and it was made by Ricky Gervais. It's about Warwick Davis. Mm -hmm. Warwick Davis is a, is a little person. He was like Willow and he was in um, uh, Star Wars. He's like probably the most famous little little person actor. And he he plays like a derisive asshole, not exactly like the Nehi P.I., but, you know, still kind of like a jerk character. And it's funny. If this is what you envision for your character, it's not that it's a show about a little person. 
that's not what didn't make it work. It's how terrible the writing is, how there's no charm to it. It's mean spirited. Um, I, I, I guess I just mean like this could have worked. Like you could have written a funny show about a knee high PI and it makes me mad that they got the money to make this. And then they just made a piece of crap. They also made it at a time where the kind of racism in it was almost acceptable because of people's fucking attitude towards brown people in the middle East, which sucks. And I'd like to say that it doesn't exist anymore, but it totally fucking does. It's fucking crap. So it wasn't the knee IPI we wanted, but it was the knee IPI we deserved. Oh, yeah, we definitely deserve this. Someone was saying a few weeks ago that they, like, had a bunch of nostalgia for this period, for, like, the early 2000s, mid-2000s. It's such a fucking black hole. <laughs> like, it, you can't throw a stone yeah. without hitting something that's at least this level of islamophobic in a dumb way too like it's it's not even like trying at its fucking racism it's just fucking racist and shitty i don't know if you guys watched the in the closing credits they had a promo for another show that was actually like it actually had like a full run of one season it was an animated show called kid notorious and like i kind of remember it but i never watched it it looks just as vile and you know it actually went to series i did not see that because i turned this off as quickly as i fucking could (laughs) (laughs) me too as soon as it was done i was like thank god (laughs) yeah i need to go smoke some iranian cigarettes now I watched it all the way to the end because I always want to see if there's like commercials or something else on there. <laughs> yeah, maybe a preview for the sequel. I guess I had just totally forgot what a black hole Comedy Central was at that time. Yeah. Because I don't know. I guess I, I, I kind of think of I, – I don't know. Is Comedy Central better now? Like I don't no. watch cable. No. No. I don't know. No. I think they do more stand-up now. Oh, do you think like a movie just as bad could be made now and get on – Comedy Central? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. What a sad time to live in. (laughs) 